This week, uh, this is week 10 in our uh, study of the Gospel of Mark, really so far only the chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark. If we keep going at this pace, uh, we will spend 160 weeks in the Gospel of Mark, so a little over three years. We're going to pick up the pace, though, I assure you. You remember from uh, chapter 1, verse 1, that Mark's thesis and main point and thrust is to show and to demonstrate and to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was and is Messiah Christ, Messiah of Israel, Son of God. And he goes after that in lots of different ways, one of which we'll see this morning. But first, uh, let's pray together. Join me. God, we ask that you would be our teacher through your spirit and through your word. Help us to be attentive, awake, eager, looking forward to the ways that you would not just uh, inform us, but shape us, mold our hearts, make us more and more through sanctification, uh, like your son made in his image. We love you, we uh, receive your word as truth and as grace. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are just good soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate or are inconsistent in any way with your word, may they not even be heard. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Mark, so far in his gospel, has uh, introduced us to John the Baptist, who introduced us to Jesus through baptism, Holy Spirit coming down from heaven, uh, voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased, kind of an anointing. Uh, Jesus calls his first disciples, they begin to uh, follow him, he preaches, he begins to heal in Capernaum, up north in Galilee, uh, encounter in the synagogue one morning, then in the afternoon at Peter's uh, home, and then sort of this healing and casting out ministry sort of begins to explode. So we pick up the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 40. Listen closely. This is the Word of God. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged Jesus on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man, and he said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left the man, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And in some ways, these six short verses seem like just another account of one of Jesus' many miraculous works that are sort of gaining steam in Mark's gospel and are continue to flow and gain steam and be almost ubiquitous in the first half of Mark's gospel as Jesus ministers, announces, proclaims, lives. Already in Mark's gospel, Jesus has healed a person, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. 
of a physical ailment, and Jesus healed her instantly. And that evening, Jesus healed more people, many people, all of the people who came to the door of Peter's house after sunset, of many and various diseases, maladies, conditions, illnesses. Jesus has already healed many, and he will continue to heal many. And Jesus had already cast out a demon in the synagogue of Capernaum in chapter 1. And then Jesus casts out a bunch more demons that evening at Peter's house after sunset again. And then the next morning, after a time of prayer, a time alone with his father, as we talked about, Jesus gets up when his disciples come and say, where are you? And he heads off at their request to primarily preach, to proclaim, to tell, to announce, to herald the gospel of the kingdom. His primary calling, but also, Mark tells us, to cast out more and other demons. But of all of the people that Jesus, out of whom he had cast demons and would cast demons, out of all the people that Jesus had healed and would heal of various conditions, maladies, illnesses, this man now is unique among them. And for a variety of reasons, the primary one of which, though, was because he had leprosy. Because he had specifically leprosy. So scholars and historians agree that leprosy, what is known today as Hansen's disease, was fairly common in Palestine in the first century, as it still is in a handful of countries around the world like India and Bangladesh and Indonesia, Myanmar, Brazil, Nigeria. But we don't hear a lot about leprosy today in the United States, though it still occurs and people are diagnosed with leprosy in the United States regularly. More than 150 countries still have leprosy in various forms. More than 200,000 diagnoses a year around the world. In, in Palestine, leprosy was fairly common in the first century, though this account and an account of Jesus healing 10 lepers in chapter 17 of Luke's gospel, which kind of reads more as a parable than Jesus specifically healing someone. It's loaded with parabolic meaning. These are the only instances in any of the Gospels, in all of the Gospels, of Jesus encountering and healing someone with leprosy. It was a ubiquitous condition, though, and a greatly feared condition, and one that for many centuries people and societies had tried to isolate so that it didn't spread to others. It was a horrible disease that no one knew how to effectively treat, and so people who had it were isolated so the disease didn't spread to others, which is an awful lot like what we're going through now as a world. And it's still today in many regions, as it was then in biblical times, a disease around which there was much superstition and much fear. Because leprosy, like many skin diseases, was hard to diagnose and even harder then to treat and heal. The scribes described as many as 72 different afflictions as forms of leprosy, all of which were regarded as, in various ways, divine punishment of some sort. And thus the healing for leprosy and these other skin diseases had to come from God because they understood it as punishment or judgment from God. To that end, two full chapters of the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14, read like an ancient textbook on dermatology that both describe the disease in all of its nuances and various forms, 
and also prescribe what priests were to do when they encountered someone with leprosy. Because priests function not just as religious holy men, but also very much as keepers of the law. As people who instructed in the ways of God. And as people who decided and designated who was clean and unclean. Who was appropriately clean and right and ready and able to receive the benefits of God. To participate in temple and synagogue worship. The scribes had that role. It's there in chapter 13 that we read the following about leprosy. Chapter 13 of Leviticus. These words. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of their face. And cry out wherever they went. Unclean. Unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. And it was a disease that people often had forever until they died. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. And so one can see that leprosy was not just a disease. It was a sentence. Leprosy was not just a disease. But it was also a sentence. And often a life sentence. Leprosy is a bacteria we know today. They didn't know or understand what bacteria were then. It was a bacteria that attacks the nerves in our skin, degrading them, decaying them, so they no longer work, so a person can no longer feel, no longer has sensation. It especially affects a person's extremities, their toes, their fingers, their nose, their ears, just above their eyes, but then goes deeper. After it's shown itself as white blotches and discolorations, it goes deeper into other parts of our body, even into organs. It is a miserable life and eventually a miserable death. It causes people to be deformed. It causes people to have all kinds of pain and suffering. A person, when they lose the sense of feeling in their fingers... Other parts of their body will get hurt, will get a wound, will get an infection and not know it, not realize it and continue. Bones get drawn back as they get infected into a person's body. Limbs shrivel up. It is a horrible, horrible disease. It manifests itself outwardly, visibly. It manifests itself audibly as people begin to be affected in their vocal cords by the disease. It affects people in the way that their bodies begin to smell. It was a horrible disease in every way. It led to rejection, estrangement, loneliness, to people being categorized as pariahs, as outcasts, and as we read from Leviticus. Being banished from the community, banished from their families, banished from the synagogue, banished from life in the religious community, banished to live alone, banished to live on the edges and beyond the edges of society. It was considered not just a death sentence, but worse than death, a living death. 
And now the scandal of this leper is a little clearer. His offense is apparent. He has done and he is doing exactly what he was not to do. Taking a chance, moving among people, risking his own shame, but more than that, risking other people's health and well-being and risking other people's ceremonial uncleanliness, according to Jewish law. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. He's groveling. He's crawling. He's scooting on whatever limbs he has left. He is daring. And he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Expressing faith in maybe a rudimentary form, expressing hope, expressing desperation. Boldly, audaciously, recklessly. With no regard for the law of Moses, no regard for the 50 paces he was required to stay from anyone and everyone, lest he cause them, including now this rabbi Jesus, to become unclean themselves. Pushing aside years and years of humiliation, this leper moves, maybe crawls toward Jesus. In faith and with faith. Not questioning Jesus' ability to save, but questioning to a degree Jesus' willingness to do so. And this leper's man's desperate plea is also our story. In many ways, conscious for some of us, maybe not so conscious for others of us. We know you can do this, God. We know you can do this, but will you do this? For me, will you do this for someone like me? And then comes Jesus' no less scandalous reply. In the face of such a request, in the face of such an approach, if approached by a leper, one would expect any observant Jew to step backward or even to run away. But Jesus, instead of contempt, replies with compassion. Instead of being repelled by the man, he responds with pity. Now I'm going to take us on a little, uh, just a short detour here for a moment. Stay with me. The New International Version of the English translation, the English Bible here says Jesus was indignant. Jesus was indignant. And the New International Version here says indignant because that was what a very old and reliable manuscript of the Gospel of Mark said. A very old and very reliable manuscript. We don't have the original piece of papyrus or whatever that Mark wrote on. But instead we have hundreds of second and third and fourth generation manuscripts that the best of scholars from around the world over the centuries have put together and formed as best we understand an authentic and reliable Gospel of Mark. Just like some of the other books of the Bible. And one of the oldest Gospels of Mark has at this place the word indignant rather than what many translations now use, the word compassion. And many or most scholars think that indignant was the original word because a scribe would not change an easy reading, for example, compassion, to a much harder reading, indignant. But a sympathetic scribe might change a harder reading, for example, indignant, to a slightly easier and more palatable reading, like compassion. Maybe. And Matthew's and Luke's Gospels, both of which record this account and both of which were most likely put together after Mark's Gospel, 
both say compassion. Hmm. If we stick with indignant, then Jesus' response to the leper's request was indignity. What might, what might have upset Jesus so much in this situation? Jesus may have been upset by the man's condition itself, by disease, leprosy, the pain, the suffering. Or he may have been upset, indignant, angry because of the way that people had treated this man. Because of the way people like this man had been treated in that culture and their whole lives. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is what came next, which makes accepting the word compassion somewhat sensible. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And with that, Jesus did what no one, including possibly even the leper himself, expected. And with that, Jesus did what no self-respecting rabbi had ever done. And with that, Jesus throws down a new paradigm. A paradigm of what his ministry would look like. A paradigm that was according to what he himself was like. A paradigm for ministry according to what God himself was like. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left the man and he was cleansed. And the message of these verses and the message of the gospels and the message of the gospel is that no one is so unclean that they are not loved by God. No one is so dirty, defiled, detestable that God would back away from them. No one is so far gone, so incorrigible, so rebellious or lost that they are beyond the orbit of God's relentless love. No one, because of who they are or what condition they have, or where they've been, or what they've done, no one is pushed to the edge of town because, by God, but rather all are invited into God's household and God's family. Through Jesus Christ, not based on the merit of one's own, but on the merits of Jesus and Jesus alone. No one has so offended God that God would give up on them. Never. And that's not all, there's more. Jesus made the leprous man clean, quote, unclean. But Jesus did something else. Jesus touches the man. We know from other accounts of Jesus healing and casting out demons, of Jesus making other people well. Jesus casts out demons just through his words, just by saying so. Just through the authority and power of his speaking. Including when the people he heals are not even physically present. Not even in Jesus' presence. Jesus doesn't need to touch this man. That's abundantly clear from the Gospels. Nothing in the law required Jesus to touch this man. Plenty in the law required that Jesus didn't touch this man. Jesus didn't need to touch this man. But this man needed Jesus' touch. And certainly precisely for that reason, 
In other words, he hadn't been touched by another human being for years. Jesus touches him. Jesus loves him. Jesus shows him God's love through appropriate, caring, compassionate, and scandalous touch. We know what happens to human babies when they are not touched, when they are not held, when they are not cuddled, when they are not loved in that way. We know from years ago, the orphanage in Romania, what happens when babies are not held. We know how that plays out in a person's life. As soon as babies are born in hospitals today, they are immediately given to their mothers where they can feel, touch, skin. We understand that to be infinitely good and profoundly mystical. Even among those for whom one of their official love languages, Gary Chapman, is not touched, they still enjoy and further need appropriate human contact. It's a part of being human. At the church I served first out of seminary in San Diego, there was a very large homeless population. Uh, Part of that was the community that the church was in. Uh, Part of that was that the church had for years served as the official USPS, U.S. Postal Service mailbox for a hundred or more homeless people who had no other way or means to receive mail and to have a permanent address. And so we got to know over the years many of the homeless people in that community. Some would drift in and out. Some were there for years and years. One of the men who was around and like some of the others had a problem with alcohol was a man named Dennis. He was a Native American. His friends on the street called him Indian Dennis. And Dennis, uh, probably as much or more than anyone I ever interacted with and saw over those years, more often than probably anyone else, Dennis ended up drunk and asleep and passed out on the front steps of the church or under a bush or along a wall. Life was hard for Dennis. And then one Sunday morning when the scripture reading was a passage about Jesus healing a leper, during the sermon, in stumbles Dennis, drunk on a Sunday morning, slurring his speech, not clear-minded, He'd fallen down several times, clearly, because there was blood all over him, including coming from his face. And Dennis slowly stumbled up the center aisle. People got nervous. What's going to happen here? What do we do? How do we respond? And Dennis came up and sat by himself on the front pew. And whatever we were doing, we continued to do and thought, let's hope this doesn't become overly disruptive and disrupt our nice Neat, wonderful worship service. And then a woman named Helen Sterling, timid, more advanced in years, sweet woman who loved to pray, got up from her pew seat about two rows back, walked forward, turned right, and went and sat next to Dennis. And then put her arm around Dennis. And sat with her arm around Dennis for the rest of the worship service. Touch. Love. 
I think we all need it. In an era, in a time, in a season of coronavirus, we may be even more in touch with what it's like to be deprived of human touch, a hug, even a handshake, even a high five, now off limits. I know people who tell me, some folks in this congregation, that the thing that they miss the most during this season is being able to hug one another, to give and to receive a simple hug. And then there's this other thing. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. And the Greek here uh, is really funny. And I know uh, you think it's really funny that I refer to the Greek words periodically, but it is really funny. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. And the Greek verb here is a verb that means to snort, like a horse or a wild animal might snort. And Jesus is snorting in his anger. He's livid. See that you don't tell anyone, tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses command for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Jesus is really serious when he says to this man, keep a lid on it, don't tell everyone, don't tell anyone, not now, don't do it. But go and show yourself to a priest who according to the law of Moses will examine you and will walk you through the protocols We're familiar with protocols now. And a priest will see that you have been cleaned of that which seemed uncleanable or only cleanable by God. And the priest will know that God is moving in the neighborhood. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them so that they will know directly and personally. And be really clear about this. And the priest who had the authority according to the law, and Jesus held the law in really high regard, that priest, a priest, some priest would declare that man for their culture, for their time, in their context, clean. After he had gone through the eight days and the other eight days and offered the bird and killed this bird, he would be clean. According to their world, according to their standards. A priest and only a priest in that culture could give a person a clean bill of health. A brief and only a brief visit by a priest could certify that a person was illness free. A priest and only a priest could give him a test result that said tested negative for leprosy. You're good to go. But not once in these six verses do either of the common Greek words for healing occur. Not once. But four times in these six verses, we read the word clean or make clean. What Jesus does here is more than heal a disease. He heals a person. He doesn't just get rid of the leprosy, but he restores to the man everything that had been taken from him. His status, his pariahness, his outcastness, his shame, the scorn, his sentence, 
his years of living alone, his years of being alone, all of the curse that went, that went with leprosy was now moved, removed. And verse 45 says, instead he went out and began to talk freely, this man did, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people came to him from everywhere. The Greek word is preached. We talked about it last Sunday morning. He went everywhere and he preached. He didn't have a pulpit. He wasn't ordained. He wasn't in a church. He didn't go into synagogues necessarily. But Mark tells us that this man preached. It's sort of one of those things, reverse psychology. Jesus says, don't preach, don't preach, don't tell anyone. And the man preaches. Sometimes some of us are told, share the good news, proclaim the gospel, preach. And so we don't preach. Jesus says, don't preach. And the man does preach. But he can't, because he can't help tell, announce, share, herald what the Lord has done in his life. And how he is not only disease-free, but how he is a new person, and he's liberated, and he's free. Preach. A strange thing happens in the story. The leper begins on the outside and Jesus on the inside. The story ends with the leper on the inside and Jesus on the outside gone out to a lonely place. Normally when someone with leprosy touched or was touched by someone who was clean, the uncleanness is transferred to the one who was clean. That's the way the law worked. That's the way the world worked. That's the way disease worked. In this case, and in the kingdom of God, everything is turned upside down and flows backward. Jesus, who was clean, touches the man, and Jesus doesn't become unclean, but instead this man becomes clean, and the transfer goes not this way, but this way, and that's called grace, and that's called power, and that's called sacrifice, and that's called atonement, and that's what God does for us in Jesus, and not just with disease, but also sin. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, God made him, Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Again, reverse movement. Not just with physical illness and well-being, but with our spiritual well-being, our whole well-being, salvation. And so this account is not Jesus just healing another disease or casting out another demon. But it's doing something more holistic and more magnificent and more glorious and more beautiful in one man that he will do in many others. As a foretaste of the kingdom that is coming and that will come, what we call salvation and eternal life. It is coming. It is available. It is here. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your grace in Jesus. Thank you that you come to us rather than run from us.
that you have built bridges instead of walls in Jesus Christ. That you care not only about our physical well-being, but our social well-being, our relationships, our psychological well-being, our spiritual well-being, the whole package, us, people. We confess that we've had conditions, maladies, sicknesses, diseases that were physical and that were spiritual, that were emotional, that were mental. We've clung to those things and we've lived in our disease willfully at times and still. We confess our sin and our sinfulness and our brokenness and our rebellion and our waywardness. We confess all of these things and our pride to you. We thank you for loving us anyway. We thank you for coming to us in mercy. Most notably through your taking our place on a cross. Forgive us, restore us, restore to us also the joy of your salvation. We pray these things with confidence and with joy as we see Jesus. Amen.